I've got some bad news. You see, there's something that nobody talks about that can stop the shifts you long for from happening, like that habit change or your healing goals or your lifestyle shift completely dead in their tracks. It's not pretty, but I have to talk about it. And I'm talking about it in this episode today. The good news is you can reverse this secret dream killer very quickly. And I'm going to show you how in this episode. Hit it, Kim. Welcome to the Be A Brilliant Human podcast. You're in the right place if you're a growth-seeking being who acknowledges the challenges and delights of your humanity on the path to an ever more conscious life. If you want to feel inspired to love and accept yourself, to feel free to be and express you in all your brilliance, if you want to truly value yourself and others and feel energized and alive both at home and in the world, then sit back and take a breath as you explore and grow the brilliance of your beautiful human self with your host, the father of non-personal awareness and creator of the MPA process, Joel Young. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 51 of the Be A Brilliant Human podcast with me, Joel Young. I'm delighted you're here, and this is part two of a five-part series I'm calling Five Blocks to Life Transformation and How to Avoid Them. So if you're new here, I'm delighted you found me and make sure that you hit that subscribe button so you get notifications of when each episode comes out. And if you're back, then I love that you're here again, taking time to pop me in your ears, listen to me on your speakers, wherever you are. It's a, always a, a wonderful thought that I have that people would take a moment or take a, take a half hour out of their day to listen to my pontifications. So part one last week was all about impatience. This week, we're talking about something which is kind of one of those pet peeves for me. It's a big topic. And as I said last week, you know, part of what I'm doing is talking about how MPA is intrinsically uh, built in with all the ways to avoid these five blocks. And this week, we're talking about dogma. <laughs> dogma. And in the early days of MPA, I used to refer to myself as a 21st century heretic. Now, if you don't know, heretics go back to, um, you know, the time you think of the Spanish Inquisition, <laughs> where there were people questioning the church because the church had its dogma. This is the story. This is how it is. And you cannot say anything against it or we'll burn you at the stake. <laughs> But I found that there was sort of creeping into the world of personal development and spirituality. There was an increasing amount of dogma and dogma is a huge block to self-investigation, to genuine self-investigation and to growth. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, let's talk about what dogma is, uh, what the attraction of it is, some of the side issues around it. And also, I'm going to talk a bit about how you can avoid that pitfall of falling into the dogma trap. So let's get into it. So what is dogma? <laughs> well, the dictionary definition is it's a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. So 
as I said before, you know, the, the church laid down the dogma and if you spoke up against it, you were a heretic and got burned. And there's lots of different ways that it can show up in, you know, in the world. One of my favorite examples is that Bruce Lipton talked about. Bruce Lipton wrote an amazing book called The Biology of Belief. And he suffered from the consequences of dogma. He talks about in genetics, he's an epigeneticist. Um, and he talks about the, some basic dogma, including that, you know, the dogma, the, the dogma around genetics has been or is still standing that your genes control, you know, your fate effectively. You get dodgy genes, that's it, you're done for. And his research showed that actually it's more about epigenetics. There's a, a sheath that goes around the, I think it's the RNA uh, part of the DNA, which has more kind of nurture control over nature. Um, and even in the big genome project, the big human genome project, they actually literally started calling it the the dogma. And uh, it basically was sort of sort of a set of ideas around um, how genetics worked. And researchers like him who looked and into it and questions the dog questioned the dogma have been kind of sidelined within the scientific community, which is kind of sad and hilarious that science, which by its very nature is about exploration and open mindedness, uh, gets clogged up with dogma, which, as we'll look at today, is something which closes down the mind because if you think about it when you decide that something is incontrovertibly true then what you do is you you close off your mind you shelve something and sort of label it as known <laughs> and this is where it becomes a problem with personal development personal growth this is where it becomes a problem with self-exploration and when it comes to making the shifts that you long for then if you've got th bits in the way that say this is known, then you instantly step out of that sense of self-exploration. And most of the dogmatic ideas, you know, again, going back to the uh, the the dictionary definition where it's sort of it's laid down by an authority. A lot of the dogmatic ideas come from somebody else. So uh, there are a lot of ideas that have come from people's books and uh, these ideas that are promulgated within the spiritual and personal development uh, sort of arena and they get taken on people like them they sound good and there's usually some truth or contextual truth to them but once they become labeled dogma and becomes the idea and this is how it is then that's going to be really again stepping out of self-investigation and into just these labeled bits of known so i tend to think of a dogmatic mind as a cankered mind <laughs> which is a horrible word but i think i like it because of that it's a cankered mind because it gives you that limited view and 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 a total lack of openness and i often say that dogma leads to blindness but the attraction of dogma is that it's something that is known so again we're kind of hardwired to to do this to get things label them as known stick them on a shelf why because there's so much information going on around us there's so much um, so many things if we had to be consciously aware of every little activity of how our heart beats and and all the things that we think like for example driving you know when you drive you you put a lot of that into the the unconscious realm. You know, you don't have to think about everything. It's a known quantity. You know how to do it so it can go over to automatic. So there's context where that 
the whole system of when something's known, you sort of stick it out of the conscious mind, you know, has its uses, has its place. But if you're trying to shift a habit, if you're trying to look at what's happening within the the mind-body system and you've got a repeated pattern that's showing up as symptoms in your body, then the unconscious realm, the things that you're not aware of, the things that are systems that are running on automatic, the dogmatic systems, are not the area where change is going to happen. So known is not grown. And we tend to sort of live in these comfort zones. And and dogma can be very comforting. You can just sort of use it as a as a way to to just sort of apply some platitude to a situation, but it closes off that self-investigation. So one of the sort of side issues that comes up with, with dogma, I kind of mentioned it with Bruce Lipton and also with the how I describe myself as a 21st century heretic is um, dogma has this interesting sort of viral <laughs> kind of effect that once the sort of the there's a general sway to put something under the dogmatic realm, there's this interesting human phenomenon like the sort of herd mentality where once it's kind of agreed that this is how it is, if you start to step out of line, if you're not poet towing the party line of the dogma, then it tends to invoke that sort of herd judgment. And there's an interesting sort of seductive quality, again, which sort of pulls you pulls you back into the known, pulls you back into that party line. It's a bit like that, uh, the sort of the, I'm trying to think how to just, what the name for it is, but there's, there's a situation with the situation. There's an example of how crabs do something. What happens is a, you put a bunch of crabs into a bucket and if one tries to climb out, others, other crabs will grab them by the leg and pull them back down. <laughs> and we humans are a bit like crabs in a bucket, really. So, because one thing that happens, if you have a dogma, then you start to really set up sort of firm, strong, almost religious belief, which is why I laugh at the scientists, really. It's like a religious, uh, almost cultish idea of this is how it is. And and then you don't want it questioned because, again, the whole thing is once you start to question the dogma, you're pulling yourself out of the comfort zone, really. But what I want to do is to give some examples within the sort of spirituality and personal development realm and then sort of pick them apart a bit and look at why they can be dangerous ideas if you if you make them dogmatic. So and then we'll move into, you know, the sort of the fundamentals of how to avoid falling into the dogma trap. So the first one is the old chestnut that I am a soul having a human experience. Now, that's a beautiful idea, and I would say it certainly has a place where that idea is is helpful. It's useful. So in MPA, we have like the what I call the multiple perspectives model. And the soul having a human experience is an idea that which is sat firmly in the soul perspective. But there are also very human perspectives and there's very divine perspectives. Now, if you get dogmatic about the idea that I'm a soul having a human experience, then there are times in life where I've seen it used in a way which is actually not facing the very human reality of a situation. So again, that's where sometimes dogma and platitudes sort of sit together. So, you know, let's say that someone's going through a tremendous crisis and it's a very human thing. Um, Maybe it's like something awful, like a child dies and 
It can be useful at times, say you're a soul having a human experience, but there are also times where if you confront someone or you try and force that dogma down someone's throat, you're not really stepping into the presence of of true human compassion, true acknowledging of the pain that's going on. And we do this to ourselves also. So let's say you're in an abusive situation and there are practical things you need to face, but you've got this dogmatic idea. I'm just a soul having a human experience. The attempt there is to is to try and transcend the the suffering that's going on. And I'm not saying that it can't work and be useful at times. I want to really stress that. But sometimes what that can do if you keep on with it dogmatically is it can cause you to not get out of a situation which you need to get out too quickly because you're using the spiritual dogma as a way to avoid the action and the practical stuff that you need to do. So the soul experience is, is all well and good but Again, if you get stuck slavishly into that idea, then you can miss the opportunities of being just just a human. <laughs> I know, I know, just a human. And there's times when really opening into the active force, the will, the the day-to-day grind of being human, the practical things, where that sort of soul having a human experience dogma can really get in the way of you making the shift that you need to make. It's very similar to my second example, which comes from the sort of the the spirituality realm, the sort of the non-dual teachings. And generally the idea there, that the sort of the, the dogmatic idea in non-duality is that we are nothing and everything is an illusion. So again, I would say there's a place or that that's a perspective, which is a very clear distinction for me, a perspective versus a dogma. It's a perspective, again, which can be useful. It, it, it sort of points to a state of being that is useful at times and certainly can get you out of a rut in certain places. But also, again, that kind of dogmatic idea can be used as an avoidance when it comes to facing your stuff, (laughs) facing the shadowy, mucky stuff in the core of that may be blocking things. Because in a way, it can be used as shorthand to say nothing, you know, it doesn't matter. And we can kid ourselves using this dogmatic idea that, you know, everything's an illusion, so nothing really matters. And I'm nothing anyway. Therefore, you know, the fact that I really want to be visible, but I've got visibility issues. Again, this dogmatic idea, could oh, well, I'm nothing anyway. (laughs) Now I'm laughing, but really I've seen over the years that idea in particular create an enormous amount of dysfunctionality in people because they're trapped in this dogmatic notion that they are nothing, that everything is an illusion. And again, I want to be really clear in this episode that I'm not saying that there isn't a place for that perspective, but when it becomes dogma, when you get slavishly attached to that idea, it blinds you to other contexts and other perspectives that are more useful in terms of meeting any goal that you have to shift. And then the other area that I see is is the area of health or healing. So the example I would use there is is a dogmatic idea 
that liver issues are about anger. Now, that's one example. So Louise Hay, and I'm not knocking Louise Hay. I, I started out this journey really with, with Louise Hay, and she's got um, the Little Blue Book, which is a book of affirmations, but she's mapped out the different parts of the body and different health issues and affirmations that correspond, which is translated into some dogmatic ideas that can slip into therapeutic work, into interventional, into facilitation work, where you start to, again, go on the shelf, stick it on the shelf. It's known, oh, you've got a liver issue. It's about anger. Now, that is a hugely close way to look at things because it was written in that book. And yes, there may be lots of anecdotal evidence about it. There may be even scientific evidence of the relationship to it. But we're all individuals. And it may be that just by saying, oh, it's about suppressed anger, you close your mind to all other possibilities. And again, in my experience, it's just not necessarily true. I mean, I like to think that's why I call that little blue book of Louise Hayes as a, as a map. I think of all of these, dog, all perspectives really as a map or a guide. It's a starting point. It can be useful. It can be useful to say that liver is a, or to entertain the idea that liver issues may be about anger because it gets you to start looking. But if you close off any other option, then it may be that you're looking in the wrong way, you're looking in the wrong place. Because for you, whatever's going on in the liver, A, it might not be as simple as that. Um, B, there may be some genuine medical issues going on. Um, C, even if the medical issues are related to some emotional, spiritual, psychological thing, then the complexity of that means it may be way beyond anger, or there may be other issues, or even at its very core, if you look at its very core, Maybe it's more about sadness for you. So that it's, again, the dogmatic application of that perspective closes your mind to other possible possibilities. And then within the healing realm also, you know, I've seen that there's dogmatic ideas about what the solution is to, to healing, you know, mental, emotional and physical conditions. And the general one, the one that, that I was sort of indoctrinated into for many years was that, you know, you have to go into your history. You have to deal with the core emotional issues and change some beliefs in order for things to change. Now, generally, that works really well. It's a, it's a good idea. But again, if you, you know, are dogmatically attached to that idea, then it means that in a situation where actually it's not to do with the history it's about changing things in in the presence in the present it's more of a practical thing again where you just need to do something differently then you can go off you know down the rabbit hole of looking at your history looking you know what did my parents do that mean i've got this issue <laughs> or what did i believe back then where it's maybe more pertinent or useful or helpful to to look at what you're doing now you can get into the emotional realm of you know what are the emotions and you start focusing all on your emotions rather than doing the practical things um you know all of these ideas again i'm not saying that <laughs> i'm repeating this they are, i'm not saying that they're not they haven't got a place i'm saying that the trap here is to be dogmatically attached to those ideas because that cuts off any other avenue of exploration so again, to sort of come back to it, it really is about, you know, dogmatic ideas are usually come from outside of yourself. They close down the self-investigation and they, they limit your possibilities. So going back to the, 
the point of this series. I've called it, you know, the five five blocks to life transformation. These falling in the trap of dogma blocks it, blocks your life transformation. I mean, again, I have to say it doesn't always block it because sometimes the dogma fits the <laughs> fits the puzzle, right? You know, you lucked out. But if you're finding that you are banging your head against a brick wall, trying to make some shift or transformation, I would suggest you look at what are the dogmatic ideas that you have just put on the back burner and have assumed that they are true. And I think there's a good chance if you start exploring what they are and then start questioning them, which is what we're going to get into in a moment, then you've got a chance of loosening out of that comfort zone opening back into genuine self-investigation, which is a place where there's much more likelihood you're going to start making those shifts that you long for. Okay, so I talked about questioning dogma. That really is my number one, how to, how to avoid the pitfall. It's the antidote to dogma is questioning. Again, back to Bruce Lipton. He questioned the genetic dogma and said, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Uh, and he got ro royally lambasted for it as well. So how do you question dogma? Well, the first thing is to spot it, is to notice the areas where, you know, again, if you if you notice the quality of a platitude, if you make any assumption that something is just how it is, then it's a red flag that there's dogma at play. And that you can just question, just ask, is it true? That's a, the classic start of Byron Katie's work. Is it true? <laughs> is that true? And I would add in there because sometimes, you know, again, the dogmatic ideas often come from a contextual truth. You can ask, is it true in this context? Another good question to ask you is ask yourself is, does it serve me? You know, does this idea that I've taken on from wherever I've taken on, does it serve me? Does it help me to feel a sense of movement and flow or does it keep me rigid and stuck? These are good questions to ask yourself if you find that you've got ideas that are going on that seem sort of absolute in their their truism. Again, what was the uh, incontrovertibly true? That was what it said in the dictionary. If it feels like it's incontrovertibly true, chances are it's dogma and at least worth asking the question. Now, MPA, the MPA process itself, and all the MPA philosophies are inherently uh, non-dogmatic. So, you know, they embody that sort of inherent openness and it challenges the structures and it's all inclusive. And it was interesting for me on the path with MPA because when it first popped out of me back in 2007 and I started looking at it, 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 it was quite uncomfortable because I was steeped in the dogma, especially the dogma around looking at emotions and histories and, you know, history and beliefs. You know, that was what you had to do in order to change. You had to face the deep core emotions, dive into the heart of them and, you know, come into source and, you know, do a big three hour process. That was the dogma that I was subscribed to. So when this little six line sort of 17 second <laughs> process came along and started doing the same thing, it was like, hang on a minute, that doesn't add up. And one of the things, you know, with one of the ways to sort of demonstrate the non-dogmatic approach that MPA is, I mean, MPA starts with two questions or one of two questions. And uh, the answer to that question is not, I'll think about it, I'll pull up my dogma database <laughs> 
answer the question. The way you answer it is you spew, which means you have some unedited, unconscious expression, whether it's journaling or, you know, recording into um, into your iPhone or your whatever your smartphone is, your recording app. And then you're listening for literally what pops out. Now, in the way that I share MPA, it's important that I get across to people that you have to be unattached to what pops out. Again, if you've got a dogmatic idea, it's going to it's going to skew the lens. But when when I started to realize this and notice that th- sometimes things popped out, which were and what pops out is a keyword, which you put into the process and then you just get on with it. I found that some of the words and the phrases that popped out seemed to have nothing to do a with the issue that I was looking at and b with any kind of dogmatic map that I'd come across and yet it still worked. So threaded into the whole process and the whole philosophy and it, it kind of where the real um you know at the beginning of of discovering you know what this MPA thing was it really started to sort of focus me on in on the the perils of dogma so the other thing that came along a few years later was because I was focusing very much on dogma and I I worked with a friend of mine called Arnold Timmerman and I came up with a process called which we called dogma T- detox he came up with the dogma detox name genius name and the process was an unsubscribe process and this is something you can do if you find that you are seriously attached to some dogmatic idea the way it works very simply is you just imagine an unsub you know imagine whatever this idea is give it a form in front of you um just imagine it in your mind and put a big unsubscribe button underneath it (laughs) and then you press that unsubscribe button and just allow it to take place really really simple process and, uh, you know, and Arnold's really taken that on now and developed it and taken it forward. Um, but the simplicity of that process is incredibly powerful. Why? Because, again, you, with dogma, it is like a subscription. It is like you say, I'm going to subscribe to the idea, like, you know, <laughs> like subscribing to, you know, to some kind of blog or YouTube channel. And they just keep sending you videos again and again and again, which is great if they work for you. But uh, if they don't work for you, you're going to need to unsubscribe or you're still going to keep getting the same, you know, (laughs) those videos that you're not interested in anymore into your, you know, into your notifications. So it's the same with dogmatic ideas. So there's two things I'm I'm suggesting you do when it comes to dogma. Well, three, two, three, four. Ah, I'm on Python moment. So there's, I'm going to say three things. First, you've got to identify where dogma is showing up. That's where if you feel like or you get a sense that something feels like it's incontrovertibly true, then it's time to question it, which is number two, question the dogma. Does it serve me? Uh, Is this working for me? Is it actually true? Is it true in this context? And then if it's really sticky and the questioning doesn't work, then consider using the unsubscribe process. So just literally imagine, give it a form in front of you, give it a color, that kind of thing. Just imagine this idea once you get clear on what it is. Put an unsubscribe button underneath it, and then in your mind, just press that unsubscribe button, and um, and let the magic happen. So there we go. This is number two of a series of five. Next week, we'll be looking at something completely different. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It'll be a surprise, but it, it is one of my favorites. So, <laughs> so come back next week. Make sure you've subscribed. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one, actually. 
Um, do you know any dogmatic ideas? Have, have you encountered the uh, the dark power of dogma in your life? Have you become free of dogma? Are there situations where you know that you you've realised that dogma has been a block for you? Do let me know. You can hit me up on social media. I'm at Joel Young MPA on places like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, if you want to come to the Facebook page, there'll always be a post. There's there's now two pages. There's the MPA Rocks page, which is my main page. I've also set up a Be a Brilliant Human page on Facebook, which you can find, which just posts you know the the weekly episode notes, not notes, the actual. Um, the notifications that the episode has come out. That's what I'm trying to say. And notes. I haven't mentioned notes. This week's notes, if you want to go and look at the show notes, are at www.babrillianthuman.com slash 51. Brilliant. And also you can hit me up with a message on the beabrilliantthuman.com website. There's a big button there that says, leave me a message. You leave me a voice message. And in general, I'm open to questions. If you've got things you'd like me to cover in the show, do let me know uh, via that message. Otherwise, have a fantastic week. If you've loved this episode, if you've liked it, if you think it's useful or interesting, please tell someone about the show. And if you're feeling really generous on somewhere like iTunes or Apple Podcasts, leave me a review let me know let other people know that you love this show otherwise have a fantastic week and all that remains is to cue the moo 